Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From the French Press in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Maida, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Maida. Writers are hustlers. When you get paid cents per word, you've got to write a lot of words to make ends meet. And that's getting harder to do in a crowded market. Anyone can blog. We all learn to string a few sentences together in high school. And so what's the point in paying a professional? In journalism, there's actually a crisis because of that dynamic. There are as many reporters working today in the United States as there were 40 years ago. And the machines that made publishing a lucrative business, actual printing presses, are rusting over. It's not that there's a lack of writing, there's just a lack of money to pay anyone to do it. And for most folks, writing for a living, that means writing whatever, whenever, and however. My guests today both write to pay the bills, and that's not an easy thing to do. They wear a lot of hats to make ends meet and satisfy their curiosities. Writer Charles Garrett has led a curious life himself. He's been a firefighter, a mixed martial artist, and a poet. Uh, And coming this year, he's launching a new venture called Torah Art that will turn back the clock on the communications industry, ditching the digital age for the honest touch of snail mail. Charles, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. My next guest has split identities depending on what she's writing. As a journalist, Cherie Cohen, she's a travel writer humping around the South for adventure and good eats. As Cherie Claire, she's a writer of romance novels and a prolific one at that, publishing as much as two ebooks each year. Cherie, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. So, Cherie, I really want to get started uh, with the business of writing romance novels because I actually read recently that it's either the most or one of the most profitable segments of the publishing industry, which really surprised me. Um, So how is that possible? It's um, romance paperbacks make up about 50% of the market. So they are the queens of paperbacks. And so it's a billion dollar industry. It's huge. And it's not all alike. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it's all one formula and but it, it's got so many subcategories. There are vampire romances, there are sweet romances, there's erotica, there's all kinds. You, you, you'd be amazed. I, I actually um, don't write much romance anymore. I'm actually writing a mystery series now. I kind of ventured off into mysteries. <laughs> well, so how does the mystery segment compare you know, in terms of its volume to the, to, to the romance industry. It's the second largest of the paperbacks. Um, and I, I like writing series. I, I, I like writing popular fiction, stuff that you read on a plane, easy reads, you know, keeps you going kind of thing. Um, not great literature like Charles over here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have fun with it, and I, I, I think they're very well done, so... I'm a little proud of them. How did you get into that? I mean, you go like it seems like you worked as a journalist. I'm familiar with your work as a as a as a journalist, especially in the sort of travel industry. I mean, how did you decide like I'm going to write a romance novel and then later I'm going to write mystery novels? Oh, uh, I started out around um, I guess it was in the '90s. I I, uh, I had a son, uh, my firstborn, and I couldn't I didn't have time to write to read literature. I was reading. I mean, I used to just read nothing but 
good literature. And uh, so uh, one day I picked up a Harlequin because there was a journalist as the character. And I read it, and I couldn't put it down. It was really interesting. It was well done. I thought, oh, this is not what I thought romance was about. So um, I tried my hand at it. And um, it took me a long time to get, get it down. I went to conferences and joined Romance Writers of America. And after about five years of working on a book, um, I published it. I published my first book. And, uh, it's, and I wrote a bunch after that. Uh, Katrina kind of got me into mysteries. I, I didn't really, after Katrina, I got this idea of a person coming out of Katrina and a mystery. It's a paranormal mystery, actually. So they're ghosts. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Water ghost at that. And uh, I don't know. There's something about Katrina. I just didn't feel like writing romance anymore. <laughs> My heart wasn't in I it. I hear you. Charles, uh, so, so Torah Art is your new venture. Yes. Coming venture. Yes. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, you are looking at this as an opportunity to kind of go backward in a sense in terms of the medium, right? So sending things like postcards, as I understand, sort of like more direct mail marketing yes. is the concept. So I mean, why do you think that's going to work, given the amount of digital noise there is out there? Why all of a sudden does, ma does, does mail just sort of make sense? Well, folks are, you know, um, very, very eager these days to kind of unplug and get away from that and to step away from the digital world and step out of the screen. And, you know, it's things like letter writing and uh, postcards are kind of becoming a novelty. Um, so, you know, we want to try to facilitate that unplugging, also providing a platform for writers and for other individuals who necessarily or may not necessarily uh, work together. So, you know, be that being said, you know, we've done some research on case studies and that, and it seems to be very, very, you know, once you have a piece of paper or the product in your hand, you're a little bit more um, connected to the product that a consumer, let's say, you know, an art gallery or something of that sort would want to reach out to their customer base. So... So, so like, what business do you imagine would really want that kind of service? So you're saying to yourself, like, okay, well, this is the sort of person that really wants the, the, the human touch of a letter or a postcard that they really feel like that's going to, to, um, to, to convert customers. I think any, any from a small business to, you know, big business, anyone that wants to really, like I said, um, you know, art galleries, weddings, um, any individual that has events that they want to promote and they want to promote on a consistent basis. So, you know, it's very, very versatile, um, very, very versatile thing that can be used to promote these, you know, events and such like that. I mean, from anything from Festival International, I mean, just you name it, you can use direct mail to reach out to your customer base. And, and who do you imagine is the audience for that? I mean, is, is it like when you talk about the case studies that are saying, all right, well, people want to turn off. Is it, you know, older folks? Is it millennials? Is it zennials? I mean, well, who is it? <laughs> I think, um, you know, <laughs> for me, the millennials, you know, I hate using those labels, but <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, the young crowd, those guys, they're always plugged in. You have some of the older crowd that are kind of involved with the Internet but necessarily aren't taking to it. Um, but, you know, just like I said, anyone that just understands the, the allure of having physical paper in your hand, it's just, you know, there's just something different about getting a postcard. I mean, we've all gotten postcards before, and it's very, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling to have that kind of reach out, you know, from anyone. So to be able to have that transfer over to a business, um, you know, just seems like something that could benefit a lot of people. So Shree, I'm curious your thoughts on sort of the medium aspect of this. I mean, in your work, you've been writing for magazines, you've been writing 
you know, uh, novels? I mean, do you find that you're reaching different people or it matters whether you're printing it on a paperback, whether it's coming out in a glossy magazine or it's being distributed to people over the, you know, the internet airwaves? No, as long as people are reading, that's, that's what, that's the main goal, you know, get people reading. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, I, most of my sales of my novels now are eBooks and, and a lot of people say, well, I like a real book. And I'm like, well, it's a real book. It's just on a Kindle. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it's it's a huge market. It's growing. I, I don't care how people read. I just keep want reading. people to keep <laughs> reading. Yeah. Have you found that, that, you know, like because you say publish it as an ebook, somebody says like, well, is it really a novel? Or, or do you find that people still look at it as, yeah, this is a, an earnest piece of work? I mean, yeah, I think it depends. I mean, I was published traditionally for a long time. And then I got the rights back on those books and I put those books up as ebooks. And so they were already published and copy edited, so I felt like I had a bit of a reputation there. And then I did some on my own that I that did, were not published um, through like New York. And I find that some people are a little hesitant because you are independently published, but I I hire people to read my books, I hire people to do the covers, you know. So I go the I'm I'm basically a publisher and I take it very seriously. So I, they're getting a good product. Um, I go through the, the same things that a traditional publisher would go through. How, how do you market that? I mean, I would think, and I, I'm not like that familiar with sort of the, the fiction publishing industry, but, you know, the, the, the distribution channels are difficult to get into or, or maybe the ability to say, like, I've got a new thing and here's my, like, how do you actually get it from, you know, your brain to people who want to read it? I mean, well, um, I do a lot of online marketing. I do a lot of, um, there's a lot of ebook. Um, uh, there's a lot of newsletters that go out that promote ebooks, so you you buy ads in these in these newsletters. Uh, BookBub is like the queen of that. It's very expensive, but it goes to over a million people, and you see huge sales afterwards. And so you just constantly market through advertising, Facebook, Amazon. You you know the whole thing. It's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charles, but, do you think that uh, you know that the, the Torah art model, the 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 new you know like we're going to do. This this be a letter or like a postcard? Would this work for ebook publishers? I mean, or self-publishers um, in general? I guess it doesn't matter if it's... Well, e-book. you know, that's, that's, I guess with the e-publishing, but in, for, you know, Cherie's case, you know, let's say she's going to sit down and have a book reading or a book signing at a particular art gallery or a particular establishment, and that establishment wants to promote heavily, and they want to also bring in customers and make sure that, you know, they fill the spots, you know, a consistent reach out to their mailing list, because most of these companies have mailing lists, most individual most businesses have mailing lists or subscribers through their online you know marketing strategies um and just a constant reach out with her books and her the things that perfect you know just things like that you know <laughs> let the record show that she has produced a postcard with three I titles of her books on cards. it yeah yeah <laughs> there you go there you go so you know case in point so yeah. that being said you know that kind of consistent will for sure reach the right hands and bring the people in so that's, now, that's important now you also do. You said you know you've done a lot of poetry. I think yes. that's maybe been your primary. That's been primary format for, yeah. for for writing. I mean, and so how have you published that? How have you gotten that into the world? How, how have you tried to even if I if I could be so crass, make money off of that? It's, it's an art, right? Well, um, well, with poetry, you know, first going the natural, uh, going the way of self publishing versus traditional publishing. Um, once you get attached to a publisher, they print a book, they send you out on tours, and you pretty much have to do all the selling. You know, if you're lucky, you can maintain most of the rights of those, you know, and, uh, 
the buyback from those, you know, from those sales, but it's really just on the backs of the, the writer themselves and how much foot, you know, how much footwork you can do. Um, so getting published, publishing out online journals, publishing through journals that have been known for a while, writing, I've read with MFA, you know, um, I've read with professors, a lot of contemporaries, just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of hustle, you know, and that's just, and right now, and that's pretty much what kind of sparked this idea with Torah Arts is that, you know, it's almost, we do all the work and it's still on our backs to try to sell the books and, you know, we want to make sure that we get as much of that back. So we want to help try to facilitate that for ourselves as well as other writers. Yeah, have you found it hard to, you know, to, to conceive of a bit, like, you know, if you're coming at writing as an artist first, right, and that's something that's really driving you toward this, is it difficult for you to then say, all right, well, I'm going to move into the copywriting industry yeah. where you're really having to access a different skill set or maybe a different, I don't know, agenda for the reason why you're getting up in the morning and trying to write. Well, even with copywriting, you know, copywriters are, they're the new storytellers of today, you know. So with copywriting, you still have to use the same creative process. You still have to use the same understanding of the, the process of writing. So it's, it's really how well you can make a transition from being an artist to being, you know, more business minded. And for a lot of poets, you know, it's really, really hard to make a living off of poetry. So, you know, you see a lot of poets make transitions over to copywriting and things of that nature. So it's, you know, it's, it's right now writing is a hot topic, you know, so we're just trying to make, take the best advantage of that as we can and also try to help other writers that are coming up on, after us, you know, cause that's, what's important. You know? So Shree, I mean, you, you, um, you publish in a lot of different places. You're not just doing, you know, Rayman stuff. I mean, I would imagine um, it's a different kind of business model, I suppose, for you if you're if you're writing, if you're presenting yourself or marketing yourself as a um, as a as a writer for a publication. I mean, how are you finding that's changing? How are you able to stick that together financially? Uh, well, I'm a freelance writer under my real name, and like you, like you said, I'm, I'm kind of. And it's, I joke on Facebook that I have a twin, um, and it's really funny because my my pen name, and it was given to me by my publisher originally, was Cherie Claire, spelled differently. So why you would have twins with the same name, I don't know, but <laughs> I don't think anybody really believes me. But I, I actually to... know somebody who's got a twin who's the same name. But go on, really? Sorry, I do. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's not. It's weird. It's a weird <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. That is. Yeah. 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 Well, there's two Cherie's, and um, I try to keep them separate because, you know, my, you know, my journalism day job is, is uh, you know, it has a certain skill set, and then the, the, the author, you know, they, when you publish, I mean, you market yourself as an author, you tend to be a little bit different, you know. Um, there's a lure about being an, a writer of fiction that's different from a journalist. And, I, and, and as a journalist, you know, I, I'm totally got a different... Um, mindset about facts and all that you know fiction of course is made up <laughs> so you don't want to mix those two yeah because people always claim you know we journalists make things up we don't yeah I mean, have you have you found that that you know freelancing as a journalist has changed for you over the last 10 or 15 years in terms sure. of what you can expect you know on assignments or, or what it's like to even try and you know get a gig I mean what, what's that been oh like? definitely uh, when I first started out I, I travel I mean I do travel writing mostly and so people they invite you places and they fly you there and they put you up and they feed you and it sounds very glamorous and it's it is a lot of fun but it's still a job but in 10 years ago people were a lot more open to it and there was a lot more opportunity now they're I think it's because there's a lot of bloggers and influencers coming into the field. So 
I'm having, it's harder and harder for me to get press trips and um, even on assignment. I'll get an assignment from a magazine and I'll reach out to tourism people. And, and 10 years ago, I was like, yeah, come in. You know, we want, we want you to write a story. Now it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think the money's tighter on their end. Um, and Skip I think the, it. yeah, so, so I mean, are different. you saying that, 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 you know, because you have all these sort of bloggers and influencers and stuff that they're looking at a professional journalist and saying, why do we need you? I mean, is that kind of the attitude? I don't know. Tell you the truth. I really don't know. Because um, I do some blogging, but I've never done influencing. Um, it's really hard for me because I'm a, I have a journalism degree and, you know, you have that code of ethics and all that. And so moving into that, that field is kind of uncomfortable for me. But... Um, yeah, it could be that. Uh, I know some people don't like the bloggers and influencers, and some people that's all they want. So it's just a different, it's a different world. Changes every year. So Charles, you're working on a novel. Yes. So tell us about the novel, and I, honestly, oh, I'm man. curious about how you're gonna how you're gonna get that out into the world. Well, you know, the novel it's uh, titled "Man Savage and Dead Horse," um, Dead Horse, Dead Horse, Alaska. Um, and, you know, to be quite honest, I've, people have always, you know, every time I tell them about the novel or talk about it, and everyone wants to ask me, what's it about? Um, and my process, my creative process, I really don't really know what the novel is going to be about until it hits the page. Um, I kind of write from a sensual, you know, from a sensual area. I'm not an entertainment writer. Um, so my process compared to an entertainment writer who really knows what they're going to write and writes it and has a definite ending in mind. Um, I like to keep things a little bit more uh, fluid and freeform, and writing it in poetic verse has also been itself challenging. Um, so, you know, once I once what does I that get mean it, to, to write a novel in poetic verse. Well, I guess you know the closest thing I can is like a Toni Morrison or um, the English Patient. Those were the, the English the author for the English Patient, which you know his name escapes my mind right now. I but can never say it right. It's like Michael on yeah, Dahe or something like yeah, that. I yeah, I can't pronounce. Yeah. But he he was a poet prior to writing novels, and he wrote the English Patient completely, you know, in poetic verse using poetic forms and poetic uh, devices to write the entire novel. So it's going to have a different kind of flow than writing, you know, um, your traditional novel. But once it's the first thing is first is just to write it. So once it's written, then we can try to figure out how to get that into the world. But one thing at a time. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with writers Cherie Cohen and Charles Garrett. We'll be right back after a brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with writers Cherie Cohen and Charles Garrett. Um, so Cherie and Charles, this is uh, a segment where we kind of deviate from the normal conversation a little bit and try to shake things up. So this is called The Checklist. And what I have is a random assortment of questions uh, that are really designed to like probe the inner workings of your mind. So um, I'm going to ask each of you to pick a number between 1 and 25. Um, taking turns, of course, and then we'll uh, ask that question and we'll see where it goes, okay? So, um, Cherie, can you pick a number between 1 and 25? Uh, 14. 14. Um, have you ever considered quitting and doing something <laughs> completely different? Oh, yeah. Yeah, every day. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually when the bills come in. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it's funny. I had a friend who told me once, she said, you know, I stopped writing and I had a heart attack. And she said, I swear it's because I stopped writing. And I don't think I could ever stop writing. But yeah, I think about it a lot because it sure would be nice to have a good paying career. What am I doing today? What is this? <laughs> Maybe yeah. have weekends? Yeah. I don't know what that is anymore. <laughs> it just all it blurs together. Yep, yep. So, so if you were to quit writing, what would you do? Oh, wow. I don't know. I'd like, actually, I'm a big um, environmentalist and I'm concerned about the world today. So I'd probably do something like uh, fighting climate change or working for the Arbor Day Foundation or something like that. Have you, have you done any environmental writing? No, I haven't. And I, um, I keep thinking that I might veer off into that. It's, it's not my thing. You know, I was always a fluff writer. I shouldn't say fluff. That's not nice. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay if you say it about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I always write about food and all the fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Charles, um, let's get you to pick a number. Uh, 16. 16. Okay. Um, I should have just picked 14. I just <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are your best interview questions? It's kind of a random question. Wow. My best interview questions, like if I were interviewing someone else? I think it's open to interpretation. Okay. Meaning like, so, because you could, we're, we're writers here, so I guess you could ask it as if you were to interview somebody or if I were to be interviewing you. So I, basically I'm asking you to do my job for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think a lot, I think a lot of people these days have been operating out of fear. So I'm always interested in, you know, and no one really, a lot of people don't like to talk about fear, but fear drives either people to success or drives them to failure, whichever the case may be. So I guess I would ask, you know, what is what are some of your biggest fears would be a question that I would, you know. So what are some of your biggest fears? Um, <laughs> I have, Making a living. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, I have children, so, um, you know, getting a phone call one day and just something happening to one of them. I hate to bring it down, but that's, that's a fear. <laughs> I hear you on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's pretty much it, man. You know? So you, you both have kids, right? And, and uh, I mean, I have a kid too, and, and so certainly like thinking about being a writer and trying to make ends meet, I mean, that adds a lot of pressure to, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, to, like, to what's become very much like a gig-oriented job, right? I mean, I, I mean is, is, do, do you feel like you can see a path in your life where writing is going to be something that will sustain, you know, what your kids need. Yeah. You know, it's, you have to do what you can. Um, but I do believe, you know, in the, I guess the old Thelonious monk, um, quote, you know, don't change what you're doing because people aren't getting it, but just keep doing what you're doing and wait for them to get it. So I think at some point keep grinding and keep working at what you're trying to do. And you know, the fruit, the fruit is in the, uh, Fruit is in the pudding, so to speak. So just get it done. That's a good quote. Um, I had somebody ask me this question the other day, and, and I thought I would direct it to Cherie, which was she, she was somebody who was interested in writing romance novels, right? But it's not a question about romance novels specifically, but she sort of said, I get these ideas in the middle of the night, right? What do you use to track your own ideas. Like, so, you know, it, what's the most efficient way, I guess? And she's asking me, saying, like, Christian, like, what do you do if you got, you know, an idea, something you need to write? Like, what are you actually writing on? And it's funny, because I never actually think about the technology that's required or, or that we use. But, I mean, so, so when you got an idea, like, when you're germinating that, what do you do? What do you, what do you jot it down with? Well, first of all, I think 3 o'clock is the magic hour. Wow. <laughs> I wake up a lot around 2 or 3, and Stephen King always used to say that, too. Um, put a... 
piece of paper by your bed because a lot of times you're not going to remember it in the morning. Um, the first novel actually I sold was something that came to me in the middle of the night and it was almost like a movie going across my head. The whole thing came to me. It was amazing. Never had that happen. And I kept thinking, I'm not going to remember this, but I did and I started writing it. And, um, but I, I'm kind of weird. I mean, I know what I want to do when I sit down to write a book. But I don't always know where it's going to go and all the different things. And I kind of let the universe guide me. And um, I know that sounds a little woo-woo, but I kind of... Yeah, sometimes I'm I'm stuck and I'll say, hey, help. And I'll just start writing. And I think the key is to make your fingers move. Don't sit there and sweat over it. Just write. And if it comes out crappy, that's okay. you got something to work with. I like like writing right when I wake up, first thing, when I'm kind of half asleep. You know, and I find that it's a little bit easier during that time to not be so critical about what you're writing because yeah. you're kind of in that dream state. So it's, you know, I, I do find myself sometimes, you know, because I keep uh, index cards by my bed for that reason. But because of the two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning kind of wake up, <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, oh, God, and you're just like a fever and you're, you know, jotting these things down. Wake up the next morning and you're like, they're like hieroglyphics, you know, you don't right. really understand. <laughs> like, I have to decipher these now, but... They say that that time of day of night is um, your you all the inhibitions in your mind go down and you're at a really calm place and so whatever inspiration is going to seep through and I really do believe there's something in the universe that or maybe it's just your brain finally putting the pieces together but however you want to look at it. So, so did your most since you mentioned earlier that you're working on mystery novels now and you know there are water ghosts I mean are water ghosts coming to you in the middle of the night I mean what's <laughs> it, it, how, how refined of an idea are you getting at that hour of night? Uh, I also get really good ideas in the shower and when I'm driving because it's the same kind of meditative thing um, yeah no, sometimes I'll just wake up and say oh this needs to happen because like I had the, I was on a path on this book I'm writing now where I'm trying to figure out this woman's background, and then I, I found a much better way of doing it that's a little bit more mysterious and you know connected better, but I got it in the middle of the night. So, who knows? <laughs> you know, Charles, I don't think we actually discussed you know, the, the, the subjects primarily that you work on in your poetry. I mean, what, what, where are you... Is it a similar kind of thing where you're sitting with a blank page and you're kind of seeing where you're going, like you sort of mentioned with your novel, or, or is it something that you, you kind of have a set of subjects that you like to work with? Well... You know, I when I write, I, I kind of I wait. You know, I don't necessarily wait till I move to write, but I make sure that I put myself in a place where you know, kind of like she said, a uh, meditative state. Um, it's called dream space, I believe. Robert Owen Butler calls it. Um, and you know, from that space, I I write whatever. You know, there's a, you can always feel as a writer, you can kind of feel when a storm is brewing, where the you know you can tell where you kind of go into that dead space where you're not, you know, nothing's coming out. So shortly after that, I know that there's it's kind of like uh, if I can use an analogy, um, it's like making a gravy or making a roux. You know, you're just kind of waiting for it to settle. Once it settles, you know, then you can start you know adding in all your your fantastic ingredients. But I write from anywhere from my kids. I like to write a lot, a lot about my children because they make me laugh all the time. But a lot about just connections between people, human condition, you know, just your everyday stuff as much as best as I can, you know. So a lot of my subject matter, I try to stay away from political 
stuff because it's just it never comes out very good. It's very hard to write. I know. Yeah, I sneak it in every once in a while, but it's yeah. very subtle. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, but I typically try to write about things like this, you know, just experiences that we have, and try to make it accessible as I can to the layman or to the non-writer. Yeah. I have it in my head that, that there was a time where poetry particularly was something that was more popularly consumed, right? That, you know, this was a, a, a thing that we enjoyed in the same way that, you know, somebody watched Netflix or whatever. But it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. I mean, who who buys books of poetry now? I mean, who's that audience? Um, aside from poets? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just, I mean, lovers of poetry, it's, we're, yeah, we've always, we've, the, the whole thing from, I guess, started about five years ago, really, really focusing on the art and the craft itself. I've written my entire life, you know, from crayons and color pencils in elementary school to, you know, now really, really focusing on the business behind it. Um, but those individuals, you know, people are less, um, they're, they're not as open about loving poetry, but, you know, you'd be surprised how many people I didn't expect or never expected who have come up to me, who've heard poetry that I've read or performed or read poetry that I've published and have come to me, you know, silently and whispering, hey, I really, really, I really, really like your poetry. I really, really like poetry. I just don't tell anyone, you know, that it's really, it's really funny, you know, that was romance, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so they're hiding, they're out there. They're just, we just got to go out and find them, you know, how do you become a writer? You just start writing. Easier said than done, but still pretty much the only proven way to make it work and get paid for it. Whatever medium you work in, journalism, poetry, advertising, putting food on the table takes hustle, and writers are ready for the gig economy. Charles and Cherie, it's been great chatting with you both. Thanks for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been Charles Garrett, poet, martial artist, and entrepreneur, and Cherie Cohen, journalist by day and romance novelist also by day. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media pages. These photos were taken by Lucius Fontenot, and you can find more of his work at lafphoto.com. The producer of Out to Lunch Acadiana is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morrell. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. And our researchers are Ann Christian and Maggie Mendel. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. I'm Christian Mater, editor of The Current, Lafayette's community-owned nonprofit newsroom. And so thanks for joining me. For more great stories and conversation, check out thecurrentla.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'll see you here again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style, Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. To Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at the French Press in downtown Lafayette. Since 2009, the French Press has been serving Cajun brunch and providing custom catering for uniquely personalized events. The French Press is open seven days a week till 2 p.m. with dishes like Cajun Eggs Benedict and Sweet Baby Breezes. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitchell Foreman and performed by Mitchell Foreman and Andre Michaud. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from the Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calais Saloon. 
Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants.